Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode of Hey Amarillo is brought to you by Wick Realty. What an incredible time to be in real estate. The market is crazy now, but you can't go wrong with Katie Wick and her team of agents. Wick has helped me buy and sell a home twice now, and they really are one of the best in the city. And what I really love is that Wick is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. So if you're buying or selling, talk to Katie Wick or one of the members of her team. That's wickrealty.com, W-I-E-C-K. Also, get your tickets now for the Hey Amarillo Beer Fest. It's July 31st at Starlight Ranch Event Center. At the Beer Fest, you'll be able to sample beer from Amarillo and Texas Panhandle Breweries, followed by a concert from the best Def Leppard cover band in the nation. Tickets for the Beer Fest are available now at bit.ly slash beerfest21. That's bit.ly slash beerfest21. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I also want to give a podcast shout out to Cowgirls and Cowboys in the West. Look for a feature in the July-August issue of the magazine about this tourism company, or look it up at cowgirlsandcowboysinthewest.com. Today's guest is Julian Reese. He's a former standout college quarterback and an NFL prospect who came to Amarillo after an injury derailed his career. And here, he found a community worth staying for. Today, he's the head coach of the Amarillo Venom, the local indoor pro football team who are just wrapping up their 2021 season after last season was canceled due to COVID. But there's a lot more to Julian than just football. He's also a pastor at New Covenant Missionary Baptist Church, and he's a funeral director at Golden Gate Mortuary. Yeah, that's a lot of different directions for our conversation to go, and we cover all of those topics. So here's Julian Reese. Julian Reese, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. We are uh, out on the back porch, and it's a uh, an amazing 70-degree morning in Amarillo in the summer. So uh, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that you're here. I want to start with you like I start with uh, most of my guests and just ask how you ended up in this area. So what brought you to Amarillo in the first place? Football. Football brought me here, uh, 2004. Um, I thought I was done playing uh, football. I hurt myself uh, my senior year in college, and uh, my my chances of going pro like I wanted to mm-hmm. uh, were were shocked because I, I tore a, a muscle in my shoulder, so I couldn't throw the ball for any scouts. So um, I decided to go home for about two months, and then I came back to Indiana State and started out. Thought I was going to be a coach, okay. and then. Uh, Coach Carthel, Coach Lyles uh, called me to come play football in Amarillo, Texas. Where did you grow up? Where Fort Wayne, from? Indiana. I'm okay. from Fort Wayne, Indiana. I'm one of 13 children. Wow. Same mom, same dad. That's a lot of kids. A whole lot. That's a big family. Where, <laughs> well, where do you fall in terms of ages? I'm, I'm in the middle. Okay, I'm so number, just I'm kind of forgotten, seven. I guess, with no. that many kids. Yeah. No, uh, I'm, I'm the favorite. Okay. I, okay. I was the favorite out of the bunch. Well, good. So your your dreams were to go pro. Uh, were you pretty highly recruited going into college? I mean, did you have, have a lot of interest? I had a lot of interest going into college for football and basketball. Okay. Basketball was my first love. Uh, my, my dad my dad had uh, – he got sick uh, basically my senior year. Um, he had a spleen taken out. 
uh, he worked for the city, and um, some things happened when he was in the ground one time. Some stuff got into his uh, his nervous system. Oh wow! So he had to quit working, and uh, at one point he went into a coma, and so we didn't know which way it was going to go. So I decided I was going to stay home, and turned out all my scholarships uh, for football and basketball. And he came out of it and was like, "What are you doing here?" I'm like, "What." <laughs> I'm here because I was the oldest at the time. So everybody else was in school. My sister was at Michigan State. Uh, she started point guard for them. My older brother, he was at Tennessee State playing linebacker for them. And then the older one was already gone. So wow. uh, I thought it was my job to stay home and help out. And he woke up and was like, you going to school. My librarian, Ms. Kerbel, her son was a receivers coach at Iowa Central Community College. And she called him and said, hey, you're never going to guess but Julian is still out there, and he came and got me. Uh, he, 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 I turned all my paperwork in the, the day I reported to camp on August fifteenth. That's a, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of success from one family, even. I mean, with with that many kids playing D one sports and, and oh, succeeding yeah. there, was that something that you just grew up like playing basketball, playing football? Like that was just. Our family is a sports family. My yeah. brothers, sisters, uh, my cousins, uh, my dad. My dad was a big-time athlete, uh, okay. basketball, football, uh, anything he tracked. Uh, my uncles, uh, they all were big-time athletes. My mom was a bowler. Uh, so everybody in my family were, were sports-oriented, both sides, the Reese's and the Kennedys. My mom's a Kennedy, my dad's a Reese. But both sides of our family, we all was – uh, always in the sports. But uh, our major thing was our academics. You know, uh, any of us could have went to school with just academics. The last two, actually, um, the youngest two, they went to school. They're, they're the, uh, they didn't play any sports. They, they just went to school to play uh, t- uh, Indiana University mm-hmm. um, to go to school. And their academics got them through through that part. So okay. if we didn't have athletics, our parents made sure we, we carried at least a B average to be able to go. Uh, here it's uh, Thrive. Yeah, I think it yeah. is Thrive and um, Emerald College. Uh, what's the other one? Whatever it was before Thrive, but in Indiana we have what's called Twenty First Century Scholar. So you carry a B average, you can go to any school in the state of Indiana, basically for free. And wow, we, okay. all of us had that opportunity to do that. So you uh, obviously you had dreams of playing professionally, and um, you know those were those were shattered when you hurt yourself. You you got a call from Amarillo. Um, <laughs> yeah. Did did you have any idea? <laughs> what Amarillo was, where we were, no anything? Nothing. I had no clue about anything Amarillo. I'm like, Amarillo? I was saying it wrong, and uh, they were looking at actually one of my my teammates, uh, Richard. He played defensive line. He was heavily recruited by NFL. He ended up going to NFL, but his agent put some fillers out there anyway, and they ended up getting a whole game, and then they saw me on offense. Okay. And that's how I ended up here, but I had no clue. Uh, I've never been to Texas so I gave all my uh, my my winter stuff away because I just thought Texas hot heat. It's all it's all like Houston, right? and that's all I thought about. <laughs> I said I was going to go to Houston, I was going to go to Dallas, I was going to go all these different places in Texas. And then when I got to Amarillo, they said, "Well, that's nine hours. That's fifteen hours." I'm yeah. Like, and you still in the state? I said, 15 hours. I'm across about four different states uh, back home." So it was pretty cool. What What was your perspective of Amarillo when you got here? Uh, at first, when I got here. It looked more country to me. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as I got, as soon as I got off the plane, it was a unique smell. And I, well, from time I, to time, yeah. I couldn't believe the smell. Uh-huh. Uh, it was so strong back then. Uh, and then, you know, leaving the airport, I saw a couple of cows. Like, 
it's out. I'm like, wow, where am I at? And uh, so uh, it was it was a little culture shock for me, uh, but it grew. Uh, it, you know, my love for the city grew over time. So you you landed here. Uh, you you played for a while. You've been coaching for a while. I, I wonder if you know as you think back. Um, at least with your football career, I mean, is is that something that kept you in this area, or was it was it something else? I, I believe it was God. Okay, because my idea was I was going to treat this process. I was like, oh, I get a second chance. Mm-hmm. You know, get to play professional, uh, play arena football. You hear Kurt Werner's story. I was in Iowa. I could play a little arena football, get some film going, uh, get another chance, get my body going, and. And then get back into playing and get right. to Canada. I had some Canada, I had some workouts with Toronto uh, organized. I had some workouts with other couple other teams, and I just was like, I'll be here for a year, and I'll be here for a year to two years. Treat like junior college, get in and get out. But then I got hurt here. The mm-hmm. last few games of the year, I got hurt, but I played through it, and I just needed to get the rehab since you know the team was paying for it. And um, in the middle of that, I met my wife. Well, now my wife, so. I think uh, and that's God a, had a different story. My dad told me, he was like, you're not coming back. I said, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm coming back. I'm only staying here for a year. He said, nah, you're going to find you somebody, and you're not coming back. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not coming. And I wasn't looking, mm-hmm. you know, but things happen. I think, yeah, that, that things happen. I, I think, you know, meeting someone who becomes your wife and, and who has such ties to this area, um, I, I think that's people will understand that as, you know, a, a reason to stick around. I wonder if you could talk, though, about kind of, you know, if, if you've got the dream to play in the NFL and the ability to play in the NFL, um, and then, like, that's taken away from you, you know, not once but twice because of injuries. <laughs> like, how do, you, how do you deal with that, you know, that loss of a dream and, and trying to kind of take a different path in your life? Is that is that hard? It was tough at first, but then... Uh... My my dad always taught uh, taught us, you know, control what you can control, mm-hmm. and you know I couldn't control that. I, I had my 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 chance was there again with Arizona Cardinals. Mm-hmm. I had a really really good shot. It was a back and forth thing, talking back and forth for a long period of time, uh, and then Matt Liner got uh, picked up, and then a couple he was other okay. guys. <laughs> yeah, he was he was all right, and then uh, then they brought Kurt Warner in. Uh, and and the guy that I was speaking with, he was direct with me. Uh, he told me, you know, if these things happen, we won't even be able to bring you in for a workout. I'm like, golly. So uh, I had a chance to go to overseas uh, to play in Germany, Hamburg, Germany. Hmm. And then that took another turn because my mom passed away. And in the middle of that, when she passed, I still was going to go. But then my dad got sick. Okay. And so it was more of, okay, putting things in perspective. You know, if 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 I'm way across country and now my mom passed while I was in Texas and now I don't have a chance to see my dad, if I go and boom, he dies, how will that weigh on me? And so, you know, just through prayer and some, and some uh, talking with my brothers and sisters and, you know, I turned that down hmm. and... Uh, Decided, you know, that maybe something else I was supposed to be doing. So then I got into coaching, and I love kids. My whole family love kids. Um, so once I started working and coaching, it felt a little bit different that I'm supposed to be doing something else. 
So that's where that came from. When did you become the coach here? Um, I started coaching at uh, Austin uh, 2007, 2007, 2008, somewhere around there, uh, where I went to Austin Middle School. That was basically my first coaching job here in Amarillo. Um, I coached at Indiana State the year after I graduated, receivers. Uh, but I, I went to Austin uh, Middle School. Um, Coach uh, Tex Nolan was the AD at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I had got kind of close with him, doing some work for him at the stadium. And then he asked me about coaching. I was like, yeah, I'm interested. And uh, a position came open at Austin. And uh, working with Coach O'Hare and uh, Coach Ledoux and uh, Coach Howard. O'Hare was there when I was at Austin <laughs> in nineteen, you know, eighty eight or eighty seven. So yeah. that's how long he'd been around. Yeah, Coach O'Hare. Coach O'Hare played a real big pivotal part with me. Mm-hmm. Period in coaching and teaching because I worked side by side with him in, in PE um, and learned a lot from him. My 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 last baby, my son Jacoby, his middle name is actually Curtis. From, really okay. from Coach O'Hare. So I named him after Coach O'Hare. And when did the opportunity to coach the Venom come about? Or was it the Venom at that time? It was still the still Dusters. Still the Dusters? It was still okay. the Dusters. I left I left for two years and went to Georgia. Okay. Um, it was like a little little sour thing when we left uh, here. I never wanted to leave, but we left, went to Washington. Uh, that was terrible. Hmm. It was a terrible experience. Washington State uh, or D.C.? Washington, Washington State. Okay. It was a terrible experience, uh, but a learning learning experience and I went to Georgia for two years and then I came back when I came back you know I had to try out for the team which was fine with me and then I played for a couple years and that's when this injury came back but it was a little worse I tore my uh, rotator cup all right and I played with it and uh, Dr. Parker asked me you know are you still gonna play I was like "Ah, I don't know he's like well you need to get it fixed so I got it fixed uh ended up playing one more year and then I I was like "Ah, I think I'm done you know my chances of getting my, – my window was closing, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to go uh, to a higher level anymore. So I was like, I don't want to just keep playing, beating my body up. I got a son now. My daughter's getting older, and I want to be able to do some things. So I just stopped playing. And then I went to some games, and I could never – I couldn't stay longer than a quarter at first. Then yeah. I couldn't stay longer than a half. And then then I, I – I would go like late in the game because it was so hard for me to sit and watch because I've never had to do that before, and it was uh, it was just eating me up that you know we weren't winning and it was bothering me that you know the stands were uh, getting a little empty mm-hmm. and uh, so I just started you know kind of prayed about it talked with my wife and went went to a couple practices and uh, just said hey where can you use me I you know I can volunteer and help and I just would go and talk to, talk to the guys. And then all of a sudden, uh, the defense, a coordinator job opened up in the middle of the season. And they were like, well, you want to coach defense? I was like, uh, okay. So I actually became a defensive coordinator uh, in the middle of the season. And then in the middle of that season, Coach Blackshear decided he was done and he wanted to stop. So I became the head coach. We were 0-9, and, and I became the head coach then and took over myself and Coach Snyder. And then and Coach King, John King, and and Steve Brzezinski, and then the rest was history. We the, won all our games. Yeah, the team's been real game. successful yeah. since then. Yeah, we lost that last game. That's when my father passed, hmm. and uh, I went to the funeral. So we went four and one, and then came back and won two back to back championships. I wonder, you know, the the fans of the Venom, um, which, which they're known as now, not the Dusters, are super passionate about the team. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and then there's a whole subsection of Amarillo that have never gone to see a game. You know, I, I wonder if you could talk about 
you know, the, the team's relationship to the city or, or how the city has supported, you know, what was, was pretty new at the time when, you know, indoor football came to Amarillo, you know, how has the city responded to that? Uh, it, it responded real well after that first year uh, with Coach Carthel, Coach Lyles, Coach Faulkner, um, those guys in place, Coach Watson. Uh, we played El Paso and there was nobody in the stands. Really. Hmm. We were, I think we were losing 21 to zero at halftime. It's our first game, first games at home. And then we came back and won that game. And then the next week, it was packed. And then uh, what Coach Carthel built here as far as us getting into the, uh, the, into the city, to the community, doing different events, going out, uh, just showing our face, doing, you know, just small things is very important because once the people know you here, they're like, they pull you in, like you said, they kind of mm-hmm. like, they take claim on you. And uh, I think that's very neat. And that's what we we look for players like that. We look for character guys that's going to be out, that's going to go and, and do stuff in the community, not going to be in the newspaper for doing crazy things right. like you see a lot of athletes do. And respect the city, you know, respect the area, respect the, the organization. And uh, it's been doing really well. So so you've, you've played at, you know, multiple levels. You played traditional college football. Um, you've played in an arena football setting and and I'm I'm thinking of listeners who you know are are big NFL or college football fans but have never watched the Venom play. Oh. Um describe to them what those games are like, you know, for a, a fan of of normal football, you know, what is <laughs> what is the indoor or the arena style uh game like? Oh man, just fast-paced, up tempo. Uh I mean, a super excitement, all non-stop excitement. I mean, you got guys running in motion, you got guys flipping over the wall. You got hmm. balls coming into the stands. You got guys going into the stands. You have a lot, of, a lot of action. A lot of, lot of, lot of, uh, lot of movement. A lot of scoring. A lot of dancing. A lot of. I mean, the fact that the 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 fans can touch the players. Like you can just reach over and put your hand on a helmet. You can reach over and and give a guy a high five. And compared to being outside, you so far away from the field. It's it's just a nut. It's just an amazing, amazing. Feeling. I, I tell people all the time, if this style of football was in place, I think with uh, even elementary, middle school, hmm. and even some high school, it slows the game down. Like now, when I go outside, it's I can see stuff just quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can I can read defenses faster. I can uh, look at a game and, and see like motions, and I mean, it slows the game down. So you got for so you. much space to work with outside, yeah, it, and then once you're used oh, to that man. confined space, once, once you're used to that confined space, and then now they give you a bunch of room. Yeah, your mind just goes, and I, I think that's why you know Kurt Werner talked about it all the time him playing arena in Iowa helped him when he went uh, and played in St. Louis with, mm-hmm. with all those receivers, able to get the ball out faster, read the defense quicker, and uh, and, and make the, the changes that he needed. So uh, you see a good transition with some guys who do go from arena to the uh, NFL or in Canada, and, and they last a long time because the game is slowed down for them. It's, it's so much space and so much opportunity. But you you get a lot of impact, a lot of, you know, things thrown out at, at our games. And it's just a lot of fun, family-oriented um, place. It's a high entertainment high value intense. show. Yes. You know, that, that has the same athleticism as, as regular football, but it's got all these other elements, I think. And then you get to see the big boys run. You get to see 300-pounders yeah. really run the football. <laughs> you, know, you really don't see that, but at Baylor uh, <laughs> when, when it comes to that. But you see those 300-pound linemen get in the backfield and just 
bounce off people. So it's pretty, it's pretty fun. And you compared, you know, the, the crowd in El Paso, um, to Amarillo, but like, has, has the support for the team here in Amarillo been pretty consistent, pretty solid? Yeah, I, I think it's been really steady. Um, even through the, the COVID and how we had to change the season this year with, yeah. with Stephanie having to change the season this year. I think the response has been real well. And even with baseball coming, uh, we still have that core group and they're coming and having a good time and making loud noises. And, uh, Last game, I think it was a, a, a lot of people there as well. So, and I think the enjoyment is still there. I want to take a, a hard left turn away from football and, and talk about some of the other stuff that you're involved in because I know that, in addition to being the the coach for the Venom, um, you're also a pastor. Uh, you also are part owner of a prominent, you know, mortuary in Amarillo. Um, and those are very different careers. <laughs> I mean, that's that's not typically the uh, uh, the trajectory of a lot of football coaches. Um, so tell me, tell me about that. Again, it's something that I had no clue that I was going to do. I went to school for recreation sports management okay. and an emphasis in hospitality management. So I was in my mind going to be at a resort, uh, working at hotels and, and, and helping people like I, you know, I love to do. And I think that's, uh, again, you know, we can make all the plans we want, but uh, when we ask God to show us and lead us, uh, he shows us something different sometimes. So uh, my, my my wife's family owns Golden Gate Mortuary. Uh, her father, um, late James, uh, Bishop James Mims, he passed away in 2018. Uh, he, he started the funeral home in 91. He yeah. took it over from the Austin brothers, uh, their family. And he, uh, he and my Uncle Ben took it over for a little while, and then he took it over by himself. Uh, with uh, my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law, uh, Pastor Joyce Mims, and they took it over then. Uh, and I came once, you know, I was serious with my wife and everything else. I came in just to help drive. Okay. He just needed a driver uh, because, you know, he, he was getting a little sick and stuff. Hey, I just need you to drive uh, the family car. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I don't have to go in the building, but in the front, and then I just got to get in the car, drive them to the funeral, sit in the back, drive them wherever they need to go. And, and then slowly he moved me into different positions and picking up people. And I'm like, ah. But then I, I, I watched him real close. I watched the both of them really close. And they really use it as a ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, the way they treated families coming in, some who didn't even have money. Uh, some would promise that they'll pay. Some would promise that they'll do these things, but they used it as a ministry to minister to these families. And I was like, wow, you know, they, I mean, it's a business, but they're not all about trying to take people's money, but helping them. I was like, I think I could do this. And so slowly I just started helping. Um, and then he sent me to school, funeral director school at Emerald College. And uh, I went through that and uh, been there ever since. And now it's uh, it's moving in a, a good direction. Um, and now we're uh, one of the only family-owned funeral homes in, in the city. Yeah. Most of yeah. them are corporate, and uh, we're locally owned. And a long, long history, um, yes. you know, and, and reputation. I, I wonder if that job, does it does it balance well with your role as a football coach? I mean, are you able to do both without, you know, kind of conflicting with each other? Yes, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Well, a lot, a lot of people ask me that, like, I do quite a bit, and it's, it's from my parents, you know. Um, my mom and dad told us a long time ago, you know, this world's not just about you and your home, but it's about what you do for other people. Mm-hmm. It's about service, about servant, 
servanthood. And um, we take that, my family takes that really to heart. All of us are doing something, wherever city we live in, we are doing something within our city or we're doing something for people. And uh, because my mom did it, you know, so many people did it for us. When I was a kid, people would show up with just different things or come to help us out for whenever. So we do the same thing. And um, I think that's a, a big thing. When I'm focused on football, I'm focused on football. When I'm focused on the funeral home, I'm focused on the funeral home. When I'm focused on church, it's church. When I'm focused on training kids, it's the kids. Uh, and I'm family, it's all the time. So um, I put my focus on where it needs to be. And uh, we have a, we have enough help and uh, people to, to step up when we need them to. So it, it balances everything out. You, you mentioned the ministry aspect, the, the way that the Mims family approached their funeral home. And I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, because I, I know that there are listeners um, who think of a funeral director and they think, OK, this is someone who chooses to be around grieving families, you know, and, a, and that's that can be uncomfortable for a lot of people mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's people at their most vulnerable and to choose to be in that situation day in and day out, like requires you know, a, a unique perspective. It requires an emotional strength that not everybody feels equipped, you know, to offer. And I, I wonder if you can talk about that as a career and choosing to do that day after day, um, what that what that's like and, and maybe why it feels like a good fit for you. I think it's because, I mean, I love people and uh, we're called to serve, like I said earlier, and uh, I, I watch them be able to pour themselves out to other people, not only, you know, through the business, but then they have to turn around and do it Sunday. And the humble spirit that they have, the prayer that goes into to preparation each day before you go into the funeral home, uh, your reading, your, your meditating. It, I mean, it, it, it takes, you have to be in a situation where you can't bring everything with you and you have to put self aside and step up for someone else. And it's it's tough sometimes, especially when you get babies, especially when you get the people you know. Um, but but you're there to encourage. You're there to uplift. Uh, you're there to make their transition easier. Um, and, and that's a, a big, big part of what they founded um, Golden Gate on, you know, mm-hmm. a symbol of integrity, showing love, showing compassion, trying to figure a way out uh, for someone who's never experienced it before, walking them through with patience. And that's that's the biggest key uh, to doing the business is having that patience, having that uh, that mind of love and, and knowing that, you know, some things may happen and we have to learn to adapt and, and make it work for the family. Uh, and that's our first uh, goal is to make sure the family's taken care of and uh, that we, you know, balance off each other, um, whether, you know, I've watched, I watched uh, Bishop cry at mm-hmm. a funeral. And that, those little things right there saw, showed me what was different about the way he wanted this funeral home to, uh, to be looked at and the way uh, it needs to last and the legacy that he built uh, on it. You know, it's not, like I said, it wasn't just about business, but it's about really taking care of family. So uh, you have to have that balance. You have to... You know, some days don't come in. Uh, I know sometimes either one of us will get overwhelmed, uh, and we may not go that day just to take that day to relax, recruit, and regroup and, and, and get going again. So that's important. Yeah, I mean, you need to be in the right mindset, I yeah. guess, to really help people in that situation. Yeah. I want to close this section, you know, by asking you about the city itself. I mean, you have uh, you've been here for, for 15 years now. Um, 
ended up staying, had opportunities to leave, left and came back. I mean, <laughs> yeah. what what have you know, as as someone who is is kind of a transplant to the area, um, what have you learned about the city? What what have you kind of come to realize about where you live? Uh, that it's a great place. It's a great place. It's not perfect. Nowhere is perfect, but this is a really great place to raise your children. Uh, it's family oriented, uh, and it's starting to adapt and it's starting to move. And uh, I believe that Amarillo is a place where people want to grow. Uh, some people now are are not wanting to see what it used to be all the time and it used to be this and traditional but but making some making some moves and mixing some things up stirring some things up which uh which it needs to be so that gives me hope um to to stay here and continue to raise my kids here and uh and, and be planning here for a long 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 time so uh the fact that you see uh different things happening uh, within your, your police department talking to them your fire department the city uh changing uh some of the places uh, aisd right now with the hiring of the principals that just happened yeah yeah uh, so you see those things starting to evolve and i tell people all the time you can't expect things to change um if you're not willing to go up fighting for it uh work with other people for it and if you leave if you leave with all your hopes and dreams and go plant them somewhere else, then those things can't happen where yeah. you're at. So The changes you might have been a part of yeah. maybe won't happen it if, won't happen if you're going. So, so, I, I mean, I, I love Amarillo. Okay, there's only a month left to see the Texas Outdoor Musical this summer at Paladura Canyon. Tickets are selling fast, but don't forget that in addition to those tickets, you can get a family dinner in the canyon before the show, thanks to Feldman's Wrong Way Diner. Dinner reservations are required 24 hours before the show, and they're $15.95 for adults, $7.95 for kids 12 and under, plus tax. I remember so many summers in my childhood when my whole family would eat together before the show, and then we'd enjoy the musical as the sun went down and the canyon walls lit up. Those are some of my favorite childhood memories. So if you've got kids at home, you know what to do. Reserve your tickets now at texasshow.com. That's texas-show.com. This episode is also sponsored by Dr. Eddie Sauer, who practices general dentistry at Shimon Dental Group. Eddie has been my personal dentist for at least 25 years. He's been my kid's dentist. He's a national speaker on Invisalign. He's had my son in Invisalign. So we've got a lot of experience with this practice. And Amarillo is lucky to have Dr. Sauer's knowledge and expertise here. Follow Shimon Dental on Facebook to learn more, or you can visit shimondental.com. That's S-H-E-M-E-N. Okay, I'm back with Julian Reese. Julian, this is part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes the fossilized skull of a bear dog discovered near Clarendon. Uh, which would have lived here about 40 million years ago. And I, I chose Bear Dog for, for this one because I've always thought that should be a pretty cool name for like a football team or something. The Bear Dogs, the, the Amarillo Bear Dogs. I, I, I wish those still existed because I'd like to see what that was. Learn more about that at panhandleplains.org. Okay, uh, eight straight questions. I'm going to ask you these eight questions. They're the same questions I ask most of my guests. Um, and I'll start with one that I've been asking the last few months, but what is one thing 2020 revealed to you about local people? It's, it's been a, a tough past year. So what, what have you learned from that? I've learned that, uh, you can't judge anybody, uh, without getting to know them. Conversation is important. Hmm. 
context in that conversation is important. Um, you saw a lot of things going on on social media. You uh, saw a lot of things going on in the world itself. But then when you finally got close to that person and talked to them, you can see that you didn't have that much uh, difference. You got a lot of mm-hmm. things in common. So communication is really important. And really getting out there and getting to know your neighbor and knowing the people you stand with or see every day is very important. And I think it's important to get to know people even apart from who they are on social media. Yep. You know, I've, I've had friends and I've seen them post something. I've been like, oh, man, I, I did not expect that from them. <laughs> oh, and yeah. you can let that color your perspective of them. Or you can get to know the person, you know, behind the, uh, behind the keyboard. And, yeah. and sometimes it's, it's a different person, you know. It's a, different... a totally different person. And perspective, too. And I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, you know, especially when it comes to social media, I'm kind of finicky. I'm, sometimes I post, sometimes I don't. But, like, when it's different uh, – Things in the world, I never, I try not to post under someone else's comment, especially if they're a friend. We'll inbox or we'll call. Hmm. And we'll, then he and I or she and I will talk. A private conversation a private rather conversation. than a public one. Because our public conversation can go left or right, but our private conversation can get a better context of what uh, that really meant and where it was coming from. And then it can help change perspective. Hmm. And and you're doing that from the perspective as a you know a community leader, somebody that people look up to, whether it's because of the business, because of yeah. being a football coach. I mean, I, I would think that a lot of your comments maybe carry more weight than some other people. And a lot of people don't understand that. And I had a conversation with somebody like that, like, you can't post that. Oh, I can do it all. I said, but you have to really understand that. You have a following, even though you don't feel like you do. You have people who really hold on to your words. And those mm-hmm. are the conversations that I will have with people privately. When I see some things like, hey, I know you probably want to post that, but think about it because I know you. I know what you really meant, but not everybody knows what you really mean. Yeah. So you got to be careful how you comment on everything. What does this area have too much of? Pride. Pride is an interesting answer. So tell me, tell me more about that. I say pride because proud people are, are afraid of change sometimes. Uh, proud people are... Uh, feel like they don't have to move in different directions and adapt, but you can see it's starting to happen a little bit. And holding on to old traditions uh, can cause cause you to fail because of our pride. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that happens, and we're starting to let it go now, but I think uh, some of it was still there, that pride. There's the, there's the positive form of pride, which is, you know, Pride in your community, pride in your family, yes. and then there's a maybe maybe an almost biblical kind of pride, you know, that you um, that can cause you to be inflexible or unteachable or uncoachable. And, and that's, that's the and that's the part the the, the biblical got a lot of churches, but not enough churches. Hmm. You got a lot of buildings, but not enough people moving like a church should move in community. I mean, we did a good job, I think, with the one event we did, but. More of that. Yeah, more, more cooperation. Cooperation, relationship building, and stuff like that. What does this area not have enough of? I, I don't think this area has enough uh, places for young people. I don't think it has enough. Uh, I mean, we have to travel everywhere to go do things for our young young people. And I think that's what makes a lot of people move who have kids. Mm-hmm. You got to go to Dallas. You got to go to Lubbock. You got to go to all these places. But we're so afraid of uh, passing these bills to get these buildings made for these kids and athletes and youth sports, which is very important. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, team sports build great people. 
uh, because learn teaching you early how to work with people, teaching you how to deal with defeat. Um, and we, I don't think we have enough of that here. Um, and I, I don't think we have enough support uh, for who's in leadership. Everybody wants to lead, but no one wants to follow. Hmm. But I mean, you gotta you gotta support first. Who's in leadership? Mayor, uh, city council, uh, go to these meetings, do the things that need to be done. So, all right. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? Maybe you're talking to uh, to all of your siblings, you know, somewhere else. And what do you tell them about? I said it's a big, small city. Um, it's it's the perfect place for for raising kids. It's not too big. It's not too small. Uh, I think people who say, "Well, there's not enough to do." Uh, that's them being lazy. Mm-hmm. There's so many things to do here in Amarillo, whether you go to the canyon, you go uh, to Texas, you go out to Cadillac Ranch, you go just walking, you go to the parks, you go to the pools now. You even got Wonderland. You got all these different things to do. Um, you got Polk Street is starting to thrive again. Uh, you got the baseball, you have football uh, in the summer. So it's all kinds of things here to do. I, I tell them it's, it's, a, it's a nice area. Uh, to continue to uh, to raise your children and, and have a good time. So, What's your favorite neighborhood in Amarillo? Uh, I, I take a lot of pride in the north side. Mm-hmm. Um, where I'm from, it's flipped. Ours is the south side. Okay. Uh, so that's where everything that I do is on the north side. Our business is on the north side. Our church is on the north side. Um, but uh, all the neighborhoods, to me, uh, are important. But I take a lot of pride in there because, it's to me, it's like almost forgotten. And the work needs to be done there. And I don't think uh, one side should be thriving. The other shouldn't. We all should be working it together. Yeah. So There's a long history of, of, of maybe oversight or neglect of some neighborhoods in Amarillo. Um, and I, I think that's starting to change. I think there's, there's more conversations about it. There's yeah. some um, you know, money being pushed toward the different neighborhood plans. Uh, so I'm hopeful about that, that at least you know, the, the first step and something like that is kind of recognizing that there's a problem. And I, yeah. I think we're at that point. Now it's moving forward towards that's how do we that, solve that problem. That's where that pride comes from. Yep. Pride saying, no, there's nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, how dare you say something bad about the uh, city of Amarillo, right? Yeah, yeah. What's your favorite local restaurant? I don't, uh, all of them. I think you should support local. Uh, I think you really should. Um, but a lot of, my favorite I love going. To, I try to go to all of them. I try to keep try to get every local restaurant I can. Um, but Delvin's has a different place for me because I mean, he was one of the first people I met when I got here, mm-hmm. and he actually catered my he catered my uh, my wedding. Okay, and so he uh, the, what he did for my family when they came was just something out of this world uh, that he did. I mean, we had a bus come in when my when I got married. We, like they chartered a bus, and he fixed food for them the whole entire weekend. Hmm. He bonded with my uncles. He bonded with my dad, and so that relationship was just a little bit different. And uh, so, uh, obviously, Delvin's um, Sunday's Kitchen. I mean, his unique flavor, uh, the food that he makes is is great. Uh, Shiley's with the seasoning. Uh, so all those places are those are my top three. I'm still looking. I am still looking. Uh, Calico County. Uh, Calico County is a a great place. I'm still looking for a breakfast place, though. Okay. A really good. I love breakfast. I love breakfast. I don't think you should wake up without eating breakfast. Calico County is is where we go pretty often if we want 
you know, pancakes or a big breakfast, you know, and, and don't want to go to IHOP, you know, yeah. to choose a local place. Um, but yeah, you're, I think you're right that, that there's, there's not as many kind of just down home breakfast places oh, as we used to have. I just like a good homemade biscuit mm-hmm. with some butter, some good jam, just breakfast. I love breakfast. All right. I'll stand with you on that one. Um, what's your favorite local coffee shop? I don't drink coffee. Okay, not at all. I don't drink coffee at all. I tried it. I worked at Excel when I when I when I worked when I planned for the Venom. So those uh, early morning working at Excel and then late night practices, I tried coffee every which way, and I just cannot get into it. Okay, I can drink a a shake, a Jamocha shake from Arby's. Yeah, I know it has coffee in it, but I can drink that. I can drink a frappe every now and then from uh, McDonald's, but. I'm a tea, hot tea, sweet tea, and a hot chocolate. Right. I love hot chocolate. There are a few places that will serve hot tea in Amarillo. Do you? I mean, do you go to any of the coffee shops and order tea, uh-uh. or you just do it yourself? Then I just do it myself. I, if I go to uh, like I, if I go to anywhere, it will be like a a green, sweet green tea mm-hmm. uh, with lemonade in it. All right, so. A lot of good tea but places in I never just sat in a coffee shop, to be honest. I okay. never just sat in a coffee shop. I always thought about it, but I just never have. Some good places. What do you got? Um, a lot of people on the show talk about Palace. Palace Coffee. Palace, yeah. There's one downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, Roasters got- is is kind of the original. It's been here since the early 90s, um, so that's another good one. Wow. I'm going to check them out. I mean, Palace, all, I've been all to of them Palace do serve What's 34th? Palace is on 34th, too. 34th and uh, in Summit Shopping Center. Yes, I've been, yeah, okay, yeah, I've been, I've been there. Emerald National Bank is like... Yeah, yeah there, it's right? attached to it. They're okay, both together. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. Then. All right, when was the last time you visited the Big Texan? Who? Uh, it had to be three or four years ago when we played a team out of Mexico. We did a... Uh, <laughs> we had players trying to eat the... The steak? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> they tried to eat that steak, like... We had two players. They had two players. Okay. It, it was a sight to see. USA versus Mexico. <laughs> was anybody successful? No. <laughs> <laughs> even even football players can't always handle it. No. That. And then it was so funny that lady, um, the what's her name? She does the comp, uh, competitive eating. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she, Molly. Molly. She came in. Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess a, a week later and ate two. <laughs> Threw down two of those. Yeah. Shamed uh, those 300 shamed, pound football players. Shamed both, both, uh, both sides. Okay, Julian, that concludes the uh, eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guest to endorse something. So what's one thing you would want local people to know about or to experience? The Amarillo Venom. you right. got to come out and watch uh, the football. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Um, it's fast. It's, it's uh, up to, up, upbeat. It's a family-oriented place. Uh, even the side pools. I just think you should... Buy into what's going on here locally, sending people in to, to what's going on here locally. Uh, as far as, you know, when you got family here and family reunions, get to get to the games, get mm-hmm. to the parks, get to show them everything. So they have something to do when you're not here and uh, we're getting attention needed and deserved. And uh, obviously, Golden Gate Mortuary, uh, we're family oriented uh, and uh, we love our community and um, we think the, the most of Amarillo and uh our service uh, doesn't stop at the funeral. We, we're there for forever. So, uh, just your local, your local area, local restaurants. Uh, put the money back into the city. All right, Julian Reese. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Julian for the conversation. 
You can learn more about uh, the Venom or New Missionary Baptist Church or Golden Gate Mortuary uh, on Facebook. Just look all those up. Uh, I want to also say thanks to my friend Angelina Marie for editing the podcast every week. Thanks to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring 8th Straight. And especially want to thank this week's show sponsors, the Texas Outdoor Musical, Wick Realty, and Shimon Dental. This podcast exists because you folks listen to it every week, and I really do appreciate that. And also essential to its ongoing success are the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarello. Hey Amarillo's executive producers through Patreon include Jess Heredia, Katie Linger, Jason Burr, Barbara and Jim Witten, Chris Zelda, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, and Corey Burns. This has been episode 205. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.